no hope. Christians grieve with hope. Verse 13. The first thing we see there in that verse is the phrase, we do not want you to be uninformed. Notice they've asked Paul the question. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brother. Some of you may have a translation that reads, we don't want you to be unaware. And some of them, some translations, we don't want you to be ignorant. Now, if you were like me, you were raised most of your life and people referred to you as ignorant, that sort of offended you because I thought that meant I was stupid. I'm like, well, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but neither am I stupid. And I learned one day what ignorant means. I'm unlearned about some things. And I was relieved that I was just ignorant. And I could change that. And Paul's saying in this phrase here that there are certain things that are very important to Christians. Very important to these Thessalonian Christians as well as you and I today. There's something very important for us to understand. We really need to understand the things in this passage because truth, truth in God's Word is what comforts us and strengthens us in our time of heartache. Now the question I want to propose here, what is it that Paul does not want the Christians to be uninformed about? What is it he does not want us to be ignorant of? Notice what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be unaware of what happens to your loved ones who die trusting in Christ. Those who are asleep here, I want to... uh, do some theology here. Those who are asleep here is referring to a particular group of people. Believers. People who died trusting in Jesus. People who hear the gospel, respond to that gospel through repentance, turning from sin, and putting their faith in Jesus. That's who these are that are asleep. In verse 16, if you'll notice there, they're identified as the dead in Christ. The phrase is in the present tense, meaning all those who die now... And all those who will die in the future. So Paul's not just talking about those who have died, but he's talking about who? Those of us sitting in this room who will die before the return of Christ. At this point, I think it's very important to explain this term asleep. And here is your pastor. I want to teach you something today. There's this, there's this idea about this word asleep that... Uh, Some people refer to this as soul sleep. How many of you ever heard someone refer to soul sleep before? The soul being asleep. It's it's out there. Believe me, it's out there. And they apply that to those here who are referred to as being asleep. They believe that at death, the soul of the Christian enters a state of unconsciousness. Okay? They say the soul goes to sleep. It's unconscious. When we die... Our bodies are buried, but at the moment of death, our spirits as believers leave our bodies and go into the presence of Jesus. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. That spirit is with Jesus, but some believe, they're Christians, they're not heretics, they've messed up here a little bit. They think that soul is unconscious. It's not aware of anything that's going on. However, in the New Testament, sleep always, listen, always refers to the body. It never refers to the soul. Sleep is the way the Bible refers to the body of a Christian who has died. Sleep in the Bible refers to the body as being in a state of rest or inactivity. That's what it's talking about. The Bible teaches us that the only part of us that goes into a state of unconsciousness at death is our body. Our soul does not go into unconsciousness. Just as sleep is temporary, so is the death of a believer. 
Sleep is something you wake up from, right? Some of us have more trouble than others waking up from that. I did this morning after the carnival yesterday. The clock went off this morning. I was like, I just got in the bed. What is going on? It can't be time to get up. Sleep is temporary. It's something we wake up from. What am I saying by telling you that? We'll die, all of us, but guess what? The sleep is only what? Temporary. One day, we will all rise. And I'm going to talk about all this in just a second. The Word of God does not teach that the soul, the spirit of a person, is ever unconscious. The Bible does not teach that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, and you would do well to make note of these passages and read them and familiarize yourself with them, maybe even memorize them. In Philippians 1.23, Paul says his desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. These verses teach the believer, the believers go consciously, consciously into the presence of Jesus at death. There's no unconsciousness going on. Now here's the question. If the soul goes to sleep, as some say, how can unconsciousness be very much better than being alive, conscious here, and having fellowship with Jesus. What did Paul say to depart from this life and to be with Christ was? It was very much better. I can't comprehend how that being unconscious would be very much better than being conscious in this world and having fellowship with Jesus. I can't reconcile those. In Luke chapter 23, Luke told... You remember Jesus is hanging there with the two thieves on the cross? In Luke 23, and he tells uh, one of the thieves, he says, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, how do you experience paradise if you're unconscious? Would Jesus ever tell you, today you're going to be with me in paradise? No, by the way, you're going to be unconscious. You won't know nothing's going on. Why would Jesus bother to tell this thief that if he were going to be unconscious? How about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16? What did the unsaved rich man, what did he want? He says, I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, you send somebody to tell my brothers to stay out of this place. That's pretty much what he told them, right? Now, if he's unconscious, he could care less about what's going on with his brothers back in earth. And the rich man there, and the, and the, the poor man was what? Resting in Abraham's bosom, which is another term for heaven. And you read about him, did he seem like he was unconscious? He was experiencing the joy of being in heaven. Now here's the argument based on that parable. If you present that to somebody, here's what they're going to say. And I have an answer for you. They're going to say, well, that's a parable. And you can't use that to justify that the soul is conscious because a parable is what? It's just a story, right? Jesus told these parables. They, had, they were earthly stories, but they had heavenly meaning. And they were all stories. This is the only parable that, in which Jesus uses the actual, real, uh, the actual name of a real person. It's the only par- You read the parables, and any name he uses, Lazarus was a real person. Jesus is not going to use the name of a real person in a story if that person does not exist. That's my argument there, that this was a parable, but yes, it was a real person that Jesus uses. So the soul of the believer who has died, I want to assure you today, your loved one is ever conscious and remains that way 
until Jesus comes back and He gets His glorified body that is raised and rejoined with that Spirit. So your loved one, at the moment of death, parts this life, their soul goes to be with Jesus, which Paul says is what? Very much better. That's a great comfort to us who lose our loved ones and our friends. What happens to my loved one when they die? Their spirit leaves their body and they go to be with Jesus. It can't get any better than that, folks. That's what happens to our loved ones. And why does Paul want the Christian to be informed? Look back at verse 13. Here's why he wants us to be informed. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Why does Paul want us to know this? I don't want you to be uninformed about this because I don't want you to grieve as those who are lost. Others who have no hope. I want you to grieve with hope. Paul doesn't say, Christians, you'll never grieve. That's not what he's saying, right? You will grieve. But what he does say is this. I don't want you in that grief to grieve as those who have no hope. You will grieve, Christian. But what Paul prohibits is grief that is hopeless grief. As the Christian, we will grieve, but our grief is not without hope because we know where our loved ones are who have trusted in Christ. He doesn't say they won't be mourning or crying over the loss of our loved ones, but we can grieve, we can mourn, we can cry, but we do that with what? Hope. How are we to think about our loved ones who are with Jesus? I want to to give you some application here. How, How are we to think about our loved ones, Christian loved ones and friends who die? How are we to think about that? Here's what I want you to... To understand, this is not my, this is what the Bible says. The moment, the instant your loved one took their last breath, that soul went to be with Jesus. When our son died, I was holding his hand, squeezing his hand. He couldn't couldn't talk. We were communicating with him. And the last breath he took, you know what flooded my soul? The hope that... There's a body here, but my soul, my son's soul is now with Jesus. That brought me a great deal of hope. and I I grieved greatly, but my heart was overjoyed with the fact, where is my son? He is now with Jesus. The body remains here in the ground until the Lord returns to raise that body, to reunite with the soul. But that soul is in the presence of Jesus, and that soul is fully conscious of his surroundings. Now, don't ask me to tell you what the... What's going? I can't tell because I read my Bible and I don't know. But you know, I was reading the other day and I was thinking, you know, who all is in heaven? Well, uh, Charles Spurgeon's there and, and some of your loved ones are there. And, and I didn't get to meet your loved ones who are believers and who died. But, but my son's there and I'm wondering, is he getting to meet some of your loved ones? Does he get to meet the soul of Charles Spurgeon or... David Brainer or Lottie Moon, I'm thinking, my goodness, what would it be like to be in heaven and get to communicate with all these saints who have died and gone on? For your loved one, according to Philippians 1.21, death is great gain for them. And I'm going to give you some ways how that's great gain here. And I know, uh, I've been there. This week, uh, this past Friday... It was a five-year reunion of our son dying. And it was a tough week. 
But God in His grace, in His providence, just so happened that this is the passage I was studying to preach to you this week. What a good God that we have. Your loved one, here's what's great gain for them. Your loved one is now free from the temptations that result because of indwelling sin. They don't have to fight sin anymore. Your loved one is completely free from the very possibility of sin. In the instant your loved one's soul died, that soul was purged of every last trace of remaining sin. Never again will they have to fight sin. And listen to it, never again will they have to confess it. Never again will they have unholy desires. They are sinless human souls in the presence of Christ. Second, your loved ones are now made perfect in holiness. Their mind has been illuminated and their will made perfect. Their actions match perfectly God's perfect will. They are provided with the moral perfection of Jesus Christ. Three. Your loved one now has absolute, uninterrupted fellowship with Jesus. We have fellowship here, but it's not uninterrupted, right? There's all kinds of things that interrupt our fellowship with Jesus, right? One of them is sin. But your loved one is in the presence of Jesus and nothing interrupts his fellowship with Jesus. Nothing. Fourth. Your loved one's faith has now become sight. What do I mean? Because of their conscious existence in heaven with Jesus, they now see what awaits them in the resurrection. They now see the faithfulness of God as their soul has been carried into the presence of Jesus. They now look with sight at the day when they'll receive their glorified bodies. You and I live here by faith looking for that day, but guess what? Your loved one is there and they see that. Why? Because they've experienced round one. They're with Jesus and they know what's coming next. They've experienced the faithfulness of God to take them in the presence of Christ. And they see the day coming when they're going to get their resurrected, glorified bodies. And this one here has helped me more than anything. Think more of what they have gained than what you have lost. Think more of what they have gained than what you have lost. Can I tell you this? As honestly as I can tell you, if it were possible, and it's not, if I could bring my son back into this life, I would not do it. I wouldn't do it. Why would I want to bring him from the presence of Christ back into this world? Because I'm selfish. You know what? We love people. We should love people for their sake, right? Not for our sakes. We love them for their... I love my son for his sake, and because of that, I wouldn't want anything different than what it is right now. No, you're going, you, you can't possibly mean that. I do. I've studied. I know what my son's experience, and I would not want him back here. I want him right where he's at because I love him. And I want what's best for him. What's best for him is where he's at now. This will be the experience of everyone who dies trusting in Jesus. I want to encourage you to fill your mind with these truths for your loved ones. And as you anticipate your own death one day, we're all going to face that day, right? What's the guarantees in life? You're going to pay taxes and what? One out of one people die. That's the statistics. and You can, you can bank your life on that. Look with me at verses 14 and 16. We see the reasons for our hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice the current hope there in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Paul says, Christian, you believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for sin. Jesus died as a substitute for sinners in order to atone for sin. Jesus died in your place in order that you could be forgiven. The death of Jesus, here's, here's what I love about this and I'm studying this week. The death of Jesus transformed death into sleep for you, believer. Jesus died a death, but his death transformed death for you into sleep, which I said sleep was what? Temporary. Death is just sleep for the Christian. The New Testament speaks of Jesus dying and Christians falling in what? Asleep. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible says Jesus died, but we as Christians what? Fall asleep. Jesus died so that Christians' death simply becomes an entrance into heaven. Paul also says that you believe, Christian, that Jesus was raised from the dead. The death of Jesus demonstrated that death has been conquered. The resurrection is the guarantee, Christian, of your own resurrection. Notice in verse 14 as well, the hope for the Christian dead. He said, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fought, fallen asleep. Paul says that God will treat those who have died trusting in Jesus the same way that he treated Jesus. Namely, by what? Raising them from the dead, their temporary sleep. The phrase, even so, there links the Christian's resurrection to the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's so important No resurrection of Jesus. What happens to us? We're dead in our sin and forever dead. In 1 John, excuse me, John 14, 19, Jesus said, Because I live, you will live also. Notice there it says, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's through what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection that death is only sleep. For the Christian. And they don't experience the horror of death. You know, death is a horror if there's no resurrection. Because we die and we stay dead. Look at verse 14. God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. The result of believing that Jesus died and rose again is the belief that God will raise and bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died in Jesus, God will bring with Him Those people. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, all who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus will be raised from the dead. And for that reason, we have hope in the midst of death because those who die in Jesus, listen, will live again. John chapter 11. Don't turn there, but listen as I read these verses. Jesus is talking with Martha about her brother Lazarus. Who has died. Write this verse down, these verses down, and look at them. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In this verse here is one that makes my heart. Leap with joy, and everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Well, wait a minute. Though he died, yet shall he live, but 
Whoever believes in Jesus shall never die. Which is it? It's both. Die physically, never die spiritually. Always alive in Christ because of what He's done for us. And then Jesus says these words, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. What did she just acknowledge? All that can be the case because you are Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ. The one who came to die to redeem sinners and who rose from the dead. And because of that, one day we will all rise as well. Look at verse 15. The hope for the Christian living. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Based on authority there of the Word of God, Paul affirms that neither the Christian dead nor the Christian living will be excluded at the return of Jesus. Did you notice what Paul just told those people who are having that question? What happens to my loved one? Nobody's going to be excluded. The Lord will come and the first that are raised will be your loved ones who have died in Christ. And then He will raise up those who are living. As well. Now you might be thinking, well, if we're living, what does it mean for us to be raised up? Even living Christians will experience a resurrection if you're alive. You know what that resurrection is? Your body is changed and you get your glorified body. Now, I've tried to figure all that out and I've not gotten there yet. The dead are going to be raised first in their glorified bodies. Their spirits will be rejoined their bodies. And if you're alive, your body's going to be changed. You're going to be resurrected to a new glorified body. Notice the phrase there, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. Those alive at the return of Christ, if you're alive, you don't have an advantage over your loved ones who die in Jesus. Those who die before the return of Jesus won't be inferior to those who are alive. All Christians will participate in the return of Jesus. Notice verses 16 and 17. Hope in the future events. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul just having assured the Thessalonian Christians that their loved ones will not miss the return of Jesus, gives a step-by-step description of the return of Christ. So let's walk through that. He says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Jesus is going to come for His people. He's going to come for His church. He's not going to send a representative. He's not going to send angels. But He Himself is going to come for us. And notice there in verse 16, Jesus will come from heaven and He will do so. I love this with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Notice first there, a cry of command. Some of your translations have with a shout. It indicates an authoritative sound that it's spoken during a time of great excitement. How many of you think that's going to be a time of great excitement? An authoritative cry of command comes, and this word here has a military ring to it. It's like a commander calling out to his troops, fall in, get in line, it's time to go. You guys been in the military? What happens when the officer walks into the room where you're at? He has authority and everybody hollers what? Attention on deck, fall in line, the man in charge is here. 
And that's what's going on here. There's a cry of command that's taking place. John chapter 5, verses 28-29. You might be thinking, how loud of a cry of command is this going to be? I'm not really sure, but I know something about this cry. In John 5, 28 says, it says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and they will what? Come out. Your dead loved ones are going to hear that military cry from their king, the one who's in charge. They're going to hear that call to rise, get in line. King Jesus is here to get you. The cry of command, it says, will be the voice of an archangel. An archangel will add his voice to the command of Jesus. Then it says it is the sound of the trumpet of God. When we hear trumpets, what do we think? Times of what? Celebration and, and victory and triumph. The idea is that of pageantry here. It stresses the majesty of the Lord and the greatness of that day. And then it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Our loved ones who have died in Christ will rise first. They have a place in the events of that day. They will rise first and their glorified bodies join back to the Spirit. How many of you ever heard, I heard when I was growing up, um, I I heard it often, the reason our loved ones raised first is because they have, what, six feet further to go than you and I do? I don't think that's theologically correct, but, you know, I I always heard that. Uh, The idea is that Paul is again assuring and comforting Christians There's no possibility that those who have died in Christ will ever be separated from Jesus. They'll never be separated. Paul has said they died through Him, they sleep in Him, they will rise with Him, and they will come with Him. Jesus and His people belong to each other, and they can never be separated from Him, even through death. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Keep in mind here that the Thessalonians are concerned about who? Loved ones and friends who have died in Jesus. They're concerned that they will be left out of this time when Jesus comes. Paul answers that concern. He says, there's no need to worry. Your loved ones and your friends are going to be first in line. And you, if you're alive to the return of Jesus, you're going to come next, and your loved ones are going to be raised. And I love this. You're going to be caught up with them. All the dead in Christ and all of us who are alive are going to be caught up together to meet Jesus. And what does it say there that we'll be with the Lord for how long? Always. We will always be with the Lord. In other words, Paul points us to Jesus' physical return and our resurrection and says, you will always be with the Lord. Look at that, those three words there, together with them. How many of you, when a loved one dies or a friend dies who's a believer, have ever had this thought, will I be able to recognize my loved ones? You have, haven't you? I read those three words, and and what's Paul been telling them? Grieve with hope. Your loved ones will be raised one day with you to meet the Lord in the air. And notice these three words, together with them. How will I know who with them are if I cannot recognize them? I will be able to recognize my son. You'll be able to recognize your mother. You'll be able to recognize your loved one. We'll be calling together with them in the air to meet the Lord. And how long will we be with him? Always. There's coming a day when there will be a wonderful reunion with our loved ones. There's coming a day when those who have died in Christ 
And those Christians who are alive, we're reunited once again. Look at verse 18. If you're outlining, this will be comfort one another. Comfort one another. Therefore, what does that word mean? Look back to what I have just said, verses 13 through 17, and encourage one another with these words. Paul says, encourage one another. In other words, encourage one another with the truth from Scripture. Take the truth of the Word of God and use that to encourage one another in times of grieving, in the time when loved ones die. I'm grateful to God today for what He gives us in His Word. I'm grateful for truth. Aren't you grateful that there's truth that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt and put your hope and bank your life on truth? I'm grateful that in times when my heart is so overcome with grief that I can pick up these scriptures and I can go to them and I can read these words. And because they're truth, my heart has joy and it has hope. I learned something this week. I'm grateful to God that He always lets me learn something. In John chapter 14, what do we say here is going on in verse 18? We're to do what? Encourage one another with these words, right? Who's our greatest teacher and greatest example? Jesus. Listen to what Jesus does in John 14. As soon as I said John 14, you're already, you're already saying the verses, right? Jesus is speaking to disciples, and He's told them what? I'm about to die, I'm about to leave, and they're, they're anxiety, and they're, and they're worried. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. What's the next phrase? You believe in God, believe also in me. Did you see what Jesus just did? He connected their trouble with the truth about God. He encouraged them with truth. Then he goes on to say, in my father's house are many rooms or mansions, whatever translation you have. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and take you to myself, and there you will always be with me. Do you see what Jesus just did? He took the truth about himself, about God, and he used that to encourage his people. Read that passage, and then turn to this passage we're looking at today, and read them together. Jesus does it again in John 16, 33. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but he says, take courage, I have overcome the world. He acknowledges that there's going to be what in this world? Tribulation, heartache. But he says we can take heart, we can take courage, and we can be not afraid. Why? Because Jesus has what? Overcome the world. What is Jesus doing? He's connecting our grief with what? The truth about God that we find in His Word. What does the truth of God's Word do? It helps us as to how we respond and how we're to cope with trials and tribulations in this life. Paul is saying to these believers, encourage one another with these words. Believe these truths. Bring the Word of God to bear on your experience. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can find comfort and strength through God's Word. I mentioned earlier, this past Friday was the the five-year reunion of our son's death. And can I tell you, there's not been a single day in five years that my heart has not grieved. There's been very few days when I haven't cried. Yes, I'm a man who cries. I'm sorry. But my heart has grieved. But I want you to also that my heart grieves for something else. 
It's something we miss in verse 13 every time we read this passage. I want you to look back with me. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do. What's the next four words? Who have no hope. These words cause me to grieve. When I'm at the mall, when I'm at Walmart, when I'm on the airplane, when I'm at the carnival at the ball field, when I'm in a crowd of people, I'm thinking, how many of these people have no hope? These words should cause you and I to grieve. They should cause us to see the urgency of getting the gospel to our community. And we did that yesterday, did we not? Listen, I don't know about you, but come about 7.30 last night, man, you could have poured me out with a spoon. I was whipped. I was tired. And, you know, while everything was going on, there was a lot of activity, and it was okay. But afterwards, when we had to clean up, about 7 o'clock, man, I was like, what in the world am I doing? I am. My arms are hurting, I'm, I'm tired, I'm dirty, I just like to lay down out here. And, and you know what? Those who have no hope. That's why we were doing what we were doing yesterday. That's why we worked and cleaned up and were tired and felt bad when we got up this morning because there's people who have no hope. That's why we did what we did yesterday. That's why we should everything we should do should be toward reaching those who have no hope. Let me say this and we'll close this morning. Those of you who are here today who have never trusted in Christ, those of you who are lost, the return of Jesus means grief for you today. If Jesus were to come back today, that would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Because apart from your repenting of your sin and trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have no hope. You cannot, at the return of Jesus, throw up a quick prayer and everything be okay. Now, do I believe that people can get saved in moments like that? I'm not God. It can, it, it can happen. But listen, if that's what you're counting on, that's dangerous. Today, the Bible says, is the, the day of salvation. Today is the day you must repent of your sin and trust in Christ. Today is the day when you move from no hope to hope in Jesus. Jesus said today is the day of salvation. Don't delay repenting of sin and putting your faith in Christ. Let's pray.